Well, this is Holy Week. It's celebrated around the world. Christians get together. There are so many things that seem to separate us, but all Christians agree about the events of Holy Week. And they're at the very center of the Christian faith. In fact, it was this week, about 2,000 years ago, that proved all of the things that we hold dear were true. This is Palm Sunday. And we're going to talk a little bit about it because uh, there's, there's uh, something really significant that happens on Palm Sunday, that very first one, right before the very first Easter. And so I want us to look at that, the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. We call it the triumphal entry. It's repeated in all four Gospels. And I think that's because it's critical. It's significant. One of the first impressions that you get about this triumphal entry is that Jesus is not reacting to someone else's agenda. There are no sick people to be healed. There are no religious leaders to rebuke. There, there are no uh, questions, trick questions to try to answer and avoid being caught up in some trick. Jesus plans this event himself. He is completely in control. In fact, even his most perceptive disciple had no idea that this was coming. What was going to happen in the next few minutes, they had no idea. So I want us to look at it, and I'm reading out of a couple of different Gospels. The first one is Matthew. We'll look at Matthew 21, 1 through 11. And let me read that to you, and we'll talk about that a little bit, and then we'll look a little bit in one of the other Gospels. But if you want to look in your Bible, you can look there, or it's going to be up on the screen for you. Or open your sermon notes. I wrote the, the verses down there. You might want to take a few notes while you're at it. It says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the, ground, on the road. While others cut branches from the trees, in one of the other Gospels we see that they were palm branches, spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, let me kind of set the scene for you. It's early Sunday morning. As you cross the Kidron Valley and you come to that last hill going up to the massive gate that leads to the temple, all of a sudden you'll hear this wild, almost it sounds like a protest or something going on. I mean, there's all kinds of, of yelling and great commotion. There are maybe two million people in Jerusalem right now because it's the Passover. Usually there's about 200,000 people that live in Jerusalem, but two million have come in because it's the Jewish holiday, the Passover, they're celebrating in the temple. And so they're all around, and all of a sudden, as Jesus starts to come in 
to the city, people get wind of it, and there starts to be this almost spontaneous kind of thing that happens where tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people come out and line the roads and start to yell out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem. They're waving palm branches, and they're welcoming a man riding on a donkey. What does it mean? Let me see if I can put it into context a little bit. What do the palm branches mean? If you ask the palm wavers, they would take you back to an event that happened 200 years earlier. And the genocidal Antiochus Epiphanes was his name. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes ruled Palestine with, with an iron fist. And, and he had declared that the Jewish religion would not be practiced. If it was practiced, it was on pain of death. And then he went so far, he wanted the Greek religion to come in. He wanted to worship all the Greek gods and bring them in. So he set up an altar to Zeus in the temple. And he sacrificed pigs on the altar because he knew that would really rile up the Jews. And um, it says in, in the book of First Maccabees, it's not in our Old or New Testament, it's in the Apocrypha, tells us about, about some of what happened. The book of First Maccabees says this. They put to death the women who had their children circumcised and their families and those who circumcised them. And they hung the infants from their mother's neck. So this was the kind of guy, this was the kind of ruler that you're, you're talking about. You see the atrocities, you know, happening in Syria and other places and, and things that ISIS is doing. This is that kind of a feel. Stung by this outrage, an old priest by the name of Mattathias Mattathias rounds up his five sons, all the weapons they can find, and they get kind of a ragtag army together, and they start a guerrilla campaign against the soldiers of Antiochus. Mattathias dies early in the revolt, but his son Judas, called Maccabeus, that means the hammer, and that's where they get the word Maccabees from. But Maccabeus, the hammer, takes over the army, and, and he leads them to victory, this ragtag army, to victory over the forces of Antiochus Epiphanes. Now it takes another 20 years before Simon Maccabeus, his younger brother, brings Jewish independence. But that Jewish independence lasted a whole century until the coming of the Romans. And in 1 Maccabees 13:51, it describes the, the celebration that took place when they won their independence. It says, on the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, the Jews entered Jerusalem with praise and palm branches with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments, with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. This helps us to understand this piece of Jewish history. In fact, this is the celebration of Hanukkah uh, still today. It helps us to understand what they were thinking. You see, they knew they had another great enemy, Rome, that needed to be crushed. And they were welcoming Jesus into the city to be the crusher. To be the one that set them free. To do like the Maccabees had done all those years before. The word Hosanna keeps being said. And that's a, a transliteration of an Aramaic word which they all spoke. And it means save us now. Save. Save us now. Save please. All in this kind of a feel of like we need to be saved from Rome in this minute. The strongest evidence is the palms because... That was always a, a Jewish symbol for some of the Jewish nationalism. And, and they would always wave the palms as part of the annual celebration of what the Maccabees had done to set them free. 
So what did the palms mean to the crowd? It meant exactly this. We're tired of being kicked around. We want to be number one again. And Jesus, you're just the man for the job. This is what's going on. Now, what's interesting is that the crowd, as they had gotten so out of control, you can just imagine the most crazy protest you've ever seen on TV of late and multiply that and, and figure out, you know, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 people just going crazy out there. Jesus wouldn't be able to speak over that, but he acted out a parable to them because he was always telling stories. So this was an acted out story and they missed the point of it. It was Jesus riding on the donkey. He shows this story to the crowd and when you read Matthew's account, you realize that it, it, the two disciples actually brought back two donkeys and they brought back a mother and a, and a little colt that was probably, well, it was probably an adolescent colt uh, of a donkey and that had never been ridden before, one of, the, one of the gospels tell us. And Jesus rode on the colt of the donkey. Why, why not the mother? Because the colt was even a lower understanding. You, you didn't ride the mom, you rode the, the, the little colt there and it was like the lowest beast of burden that you could find, even more lowly than the mother. And he comes in and he's fulfilling a couple of things. One is the old prophet Zechariah, 575 years earlier, had said, say to daughter Zion, Zion's another word for Jerusalem, see your king come to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now Jesus, a lot of things, he, uh, a lot of like, um, predictions about him and prophecies about him were just fulfilled as he went along in his everyday life. This one he did on purpose. This one he knew. This one he went and asked the disciples to go and get because he knew it was his time and he was making a statement. First off, I am your Messiah, your King. I am coming in. And it's important that we get that. Another thing that he was trying to say is, I'm not the kind of king that you think I am. I need you to understand that. Have you ever seen a man riding on a donkey? I mean, you go to Nicaragua with us this summer. I know some of the students are going, and we have another trip later in the year, I think. But you go there, and there's lots of uh, cars and motorcycles and donkeys all on the streets. It's crazy all at once. But if you ever see a grown man riding a donkey, it looks comical. I mean, it's not like riding a mighty war horse, you know. I, I mean, his feet dangle down almost to the ground, and this is the colt of a donkey, so not even quite a full-grown donkey, okay? And, 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 you know, the donkey doesn't have a, an even gait like a horse. It's like you're bobbing all around, like, you know. You watch them, and they're going like, and they're going like this. So this is Jesus coming in, okay? I mean, you're thinking of him like, Riding in on a donkey. No, he's like, hey, whoa, you know. And, and it looks almost comical. And he's trying to say something. He's trying to get something across. You see, it's a symbolic act. There was this deliberate claim to be the Messiah, but he said, but I'm coming in lowly. I'm coming in humble. A king bent on war comes in on a mighty war horse armored up to the max, Jesus came in in a different way. And the palm wavers, they didn't get it. You see, they thought that Jesus was coming in to conquer Rome. They didn't realize he was coming in to conquer sin 
and death. They thought he was coming to free the Jews. They didn't realize that he was coming to free all of us from ourselves, from our sin, from the things that keep us from God. And so how did they miss it so badly would be my question. And some of us, we can sit back 2,000 years, a little bit of historical perspective and say, how did they miss that so badly? How did they see this, you know, like he's coming in as this great warrior king. He, he never said that. He never pointed to that. He was coming to make the ultimate sacrifice. He was coming to die for them. But you see, I think that in America today, we, we so easily still miss it, right? Do we understand any better than they did? The, we live in a world that assigns ultimate values to what is less than ultimate where political parties demonize one another where they try to score points that way where might makes right where we live by the golden rule you know the one who has the gold rules and even we who are religious who claim to be Christians we can give in to the temptation to, to meet Jesus with our wish lists in hand with our agendas in hand and, and, and sometimes it's like we line up as though Santa Claus are coming to town okay Jesus here's the Jesus that I want here's what I need you to be here's what I need you to do for me here's the point now as Jesus is coming into town something really strange happened only Luke records it and I want us to look at the book of Luke he's the only writer who tells about it because he says at the height of the celebration everybody saying you're the great king you've come to save us suddenly Jesus on the donkey begins to cry begins to weep it happened just as the road to Jerusalem comes off the Mount of Olives and you come around a corner and you can look down and you can see out over the whole city and as Jesus saw the whole city of Jerusalem before his eyes he begins to weep let me read it to you out of the book of Luke, Luke 19, 37 through 44, if you want to look it up. When he came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Now what's interesting about all these, these are psalms that are prophetic psalms in the Old Testament speaking about the Messiah. Do you think they didn't know that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah? Why do they keep saying these, they call them the Hallels in, in, in the Old Testament. They keep speaking the, the Messianic Psalms to him. They keep calling them out. You're the Messiah is what they're saying. Some of the Pharisees, they knew what they were saying. The, the religious leaders in the crowd said to, te to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus looked at them and said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you see Jesus is weeping but not for himself he's weeping for the city that's about 
to reject him. He saw beyond the cheering mob. He, he knew. This is what is crazy about Holy Week. And a lot of times we don't think about it. But this very same group of people who are saying, Hosanna, come in the name of the, the Lord. You're here. We love you. You're the king. Rule over us. Five days later is the very same group that's saying, crucify him. Crucify him. Whenever Pilate would call out and he would say, what shall I do with this one called Jesus? And they would yell back, crucify him. What is happening? How can that even be? That doesn't even make sense, does it? Five days? In the midst of the frenzied shouts, Jesus saw the future clearly. He knew that in five days they would have turned on him. And he also saw through the mists of time to when Rome was going to come and level the city in A.D. 70. You realize that A.D. means in, in Latin, in the year of our Lord. It comes from the, starts from the time of his birth, so he's 33. So just another 37 years away, he sees through time and Rome is going to come and build an embankment against the city. It's going to destroy the city and level it stone by stone and kill tens of thousands of men and women and children. Some in the days to come would look back and say, if only we had known. But the Palm Sunday leaves them without excuse. No one could ever say he didn't make himself plain. He made it so clear. And Matthew finishes his account on a fascinating note. He says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the whole city was stirred. And that word stirred in the original language, the Greek, means to be shaken to the core. So what Matthew is saying is, you can experience Jesus. You can actually be shaken to the core. And five days later, you can say, crucify him. How does that happen? How can this be? Well, I think it's pretty simple. You see, it's possible to be moved, even shaken, and not be changed. To come to God, but to come to a God of our own making. To come to a God on our own terms. To worship a Jesus that we made up. And if this Jesus that we made up doesn't do what our sinful heart wants Jesus to do, the sinful heart's going to turn on him. False coronations like this go on every day, all the time. You can be flipping your TV channels. Sometimes you'll come up on some TV preacher from time to time that, that's saying Jesus is going to make you rich. Jesus is going to heal you. Jesus is going to give you all your dreams. Jesus is going to fulfill all your desires. Jesus, The Jesus that, that you worship is going to do all of these things for you. He's going to make life pleasant and comfortable. Jesus is about the American dream. You know, a lot of times when that Jesus doesn't deliver the goods, we turn on him. Jesus, we say sometimes, he would never require that kind of sacrifice, but he requires everything. He says, I want you to leave everything and come follow me. I want you to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's what the scriptures say. Well, no, Jesus, you know, he's, he, he's just this God of love and he just... 
you know, everybody, everything's okay and it's all going to work out good. And that's a Jesus of our own devising. He comes as king, not upon a great steed breathing fire, but upon a cross of agony. Because he knows something. He knows that we have to be freed first and foremost from ourselves. We're always looking for the king that people thought they were welcoming that day that's going to give us peace, prosperity, victory over our enemies, whoever they might be perceived to be. The good house, the good marriage, the better job. If we're a little higher minded, maybe it's the end of poverty or want or injustice. But the way of suffering, I'm not so sure I want to know that. I'm not, I, I'm not too sure about that. You see, the old prophet Zechariah knew, and Jesus knew. The donkey proves to us that he came not as that conquering hero. He came for another purpose, to make the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be free, so that we could have relationship with God. He's got to purchase it for him. He's got to purchase it with his very life. I don't understand all about it, but that was the very reason he came. And so astride a little donkey, looking a little bit silly, he makes his way to the cross. I think that anybody that comes along and says that the Jewish people didn't understand, there's a little bit of truth to that, but I think they got enough. They knew that this man was claiming to be the Messiah. In fact, they hailed him as Messiah. All of those things that they said, all of those prophetic psalms that they pulled from, was all, they were all about the Messiah to come, the king to come. I think that they understood that he was to be the Messiah. They just didn't understand the nature of his Messiahship. They knew he was king. They just didn't understand the nature of his kingdom. And, and, and they sum it up because if you remember... What they said when Pilate said, here's a mass murderer, Barabbas, and here's Jesus. Which one shall I release unto you? And they all began to yell, give us Barabbas. He's a mass murderer. He, he, he's killed innocent people. Pilate thought that they would surely say, give us Jesus. But they said, give us Barabbas. And he said, what shall I do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him. And then they added, we do not want this man to reign over us. You see, I think they got it. They just didn't like him. And we still have that today. When we invent our own Jesus, we're saying to the real Jesus, uh-uh, I don't want you to reign over me. I, I'm not about that. I, I'm not about what, what, what you're asking me to do. I'm not about your agenda. See, we come with our agenda and we make up our own Jesus. And some of you are so angry, but not at the real Jesus. At the Jesus that you've made up, that you thought didn't follow through. Well, you know he won't give us more than we can bear. Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't say it. That's an American saying. It does say that he'll help us through temptation, and, and with every temptation, he'll provide a way of escape. But he doesn't say that he won't give us more than we can bear. Some of you have more than you can bear right now. 
driving you down to your knees. Stay on your knees. That's where we begin to look for all that he has for us. That's where it begins to change us. I do not want this man to reign over us. Like people today, people in all times who want Jesus, but a Jesus of their own devising. They want a Jesus of their own invention. You know why they hated Jesus so much? Because the next thing he did, he came into Jerusalem and they said, come and be king. And instead of freeing them from Rome, the very first thing he did, he walked into their temple. And in their temple, they had created a way to make wealth, great wealth. They had said all of the sacrifices for the two million people that came in, all of the sacrifices have to be bought from the temple. You can't bring one in from outside. The Bible doesn't say that for the Jewish people. But they had made a new rule because they could charge 10 prices. And then they said not only that, but you have to buy it with temple money. You can't buy it with just regular money because that money's not holy. They made that up too. And so they would give you a terrible exchange rate. And so you would buy it for 20 prices, 20 times the cost. And so many of the poor people were even left out or would be devastated by trying to make their sacrifice to God. So Jesus comes in and he fashions a whip and he begins to just turn over all the money changing tables. And all you just can you can just imagine like, you know, they've got the birds and, and, and all in cages and he just knocks those all out. Birds flying everywhere. Money scattering across the the floor. And don't imagine that the poor people didn't jump on that, right? And and, and he says my house, quoting from the Old Testament, shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. You see, he came to clean up their own dirty house. He said, what you need, you don't need freedom from the Romans nearly as much as you need to clean your heart. As you need a change from the inside out. As, as that the very greed that's even infected your very religion. As you've come with your own agendas to be prosperous. And to make your own Jesus, your own Messiah. No wonder he was rejected. I think he's rejected by the majority of Americans today. We prefer this other Jesus. The one that we've made up. You know, Jesus would never require that of me. Oh, really? Does it say that in his scripture? I want you just to close your eyes with me for a minute. I don't know, I know this is kind of like a, a, a hard sermon, but in a sense, it's a freeing thing before Easter. I wouldn't preach this one next week when there's going to be 15,000 or so people here that probably have come with their own agenda, you know. I get that. We're going to tell a powerful story and help them to step in. But for those of you, you community of faithers, it's important that we get this straight. You see, Jesus is right here. Maybe you feel really disappointed in him because you've created a Jesus of your own devising. A Jesus who would never let you suffer. A Jesus who would never require that kind of sacrifice. Oh yeah, he requires it. Cost everything. But do you, do you see him with the eyes of your spirit? Do you see him? He's here. He's still got those tears in his eyes. And he's saying to you, if you, only if you had known that which brings peace. 
is next to me. He comes from receiving, from stepping into, from journeying with, from giving our all to the real Jesus. And he's calling us to that. It's so far beyond anything we can imagine. We're standing kind of like at the, at, at the shore of the great Pacific Ocean, and that's Jesus. And he's saying, come into this, and we try to understand it from here, and we can't. We'll discover new islands and new places, and we'll also have big waves and crazy storms. But Jesus says, I'll be with you. I'll walk with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. In the midst of it all, I'll be there. It only requires everything. 